All right, let's bring him on now. It's Andy O'Brien. He's a sports performance trainer, has trained some of the biggest names in the NHL, Sidney Crosby, Nathan McKinnon, John Tavares, Taylor Hall, Matt Duchesne. You can follow him on Twitter at Body by O'Brien. And that's uh, that's where we're going to dive in, having a conversation about, uh, you know, how the the Joe Schmo like Alex and I can, can get together and, and maybe work on our fitness, but also diving into what it's like for a pro athlete right now to try to prep their body, especially a hockey player. Not sure when the season's going to start. So let's start there, Andy. What's what's the biggest challenge for uh, a hockey player, whether it's some of the guys at the high end that you have experienced training or uh, someone at the bottom end of the roster that's, that's trying to, to make a team whenever training camp starts at this point in time, at the end of November, not not knowing when the season's going to start. What What's the training looking like for guys like that right now? Well, I think the training varies a little bit from player to player, depending on what they have access to. Some, as you know, players are spread out into all kinds of different places in North America where the restrictions vary. So for some, you know, they have access to um, full-on training facilities with fewer restrictions. And then for others, uh, they're completely restricted and they're having to adapt as things change. As the COVID cases increase, they're having to uh, update their training plans and and try to make... uh, little um you know little modifications as they go and and as you mentioned i, I think the biggest challenge for uh, for players particularly nhl players is that they don't necessarily know if the season's going to start uh, early january february march and and i think both mentally and physically there are certain things that you have to do to prepare as you get closer to the season the intensity of things change the number of times you want to be on the ice is different the style of your training is different and so if you're ramping up to prepare for January and then you find out just before January that it's going to be another month, you now have to take that content and, and try to get yourself peaked for one month later. So there's a few strategies, I think, that you can you can have to, to roll it out. But I think the uncertainty definitely uh, is, a, is a new factor to consider for most of these players. Andy, I'm, I'm curious about age. I mean, you've got clients that would range from, you know, probably early 20s up to, you know, some of your, you know, more marquee clients are now entering their sort of mid 30s. Um, without sort of regular access to a lot of the facilities and things like that, how much does sort of where they are at in their career and their physical development, um, how much does that impact sort of the programs that they're working on at the moment? It's kind of a big deal, I think. One of the things that's um, interesting about hockey, especially from an injury prevention standpoint, is that um, you want to try to stress uh, the body in a way that's consistent with the type of stress that they're going to have in the season. And obviously, there there are certain types of physical stress that you get on the ice that you just can't duplicate off the ice. So as you're an older player and you're, you're caring for your body and there's different things that you're dealing with. Maybe, maybe it's a current injury that you have. It's a past injury you have had several years ago that you've, you've developed a good way of managing. Um, you know, if you're not giving it some kind of consistent stress on the ice, uh, it starts to create problems. And so you don't really want to spend a ton of time off the ice as you get a little bit older. Certainly you wouldn't want to spend months at a time. So when facilities shut down and, and you're forced to have to spend time off the ice, it can be really challenging. Um, and I, I think, that's the types of things that you're working on is, is huge. So, um, you know, obviously for young players, they're still working on fundamentals of, of strength development, uh, maybe a little bit more than, than uh, an older player who's uh, fully filled out and has reached uh, sort of their physical maturity where they're working a little bit more on 
maybe mobility, maybe some movement factors. And so the type of facilities that you have at home are just simply different than what you have at a gym or for an athlete who maybe is trying to maintain their speed as they get a little bit older and uh, trying to, to keep up with some of the younger, faster players of the game. It's really difficult to manage uh, speed training in, in the confines of your living room. So I think the <laughs> type of facility access is huge, both on and off the ice. I guess the flip side there is that there is the opportunity to get creative to a certain degree. I know, obviously, with the high-end hockey players, the high-end athletes, uh, there there has to be a certain level of precision versus what what an average person is is going to go to from from a training perspective. But over the last the last few months, as some of these challenges have come up, what have you seen uh, from a creative perspective of of what either some of your clients or other things that you've seen out there in, in the sports training world has stood out to you as a kind of a, a neat creative idea for people to to stay in shape. Well, the biggest thing has been just the acceptance of digital training solutions. So obviously there were periods of time where it was just impossible to work with somebody in person. And obviously there's a lot of value for an athlete to have somebody looking over their technique and teaching them different things. And then also reading what they see when they're watching the athletes training and then using that information to help make little tweaks and modifications to get them dialed in. And so without that, uh, I think you're starting to see people using things like Zoom and uh, exchanging video and breaking down things with uh, online software programs. So I I definitely see that big shift both on the sports side and just in the general fitness side. And you're seeing a lot of companies just coming up with great ways of allowing people to interact from a distance. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is just a lot of creativity from exercises. I've seen people uh, you know, using various things around the house, um, you know, jugs of water and uh, various types of furniture lifts and, and all kinds of different things that, that people come up with. So I love it. I think it represents just this idea of when you're faced with adversity, uh, you, you just have to find a way you have to you have to come up with solutions. and You got to you got to put all your energy into solving those problems rather than focusing on them. And that that's really what makes a great athlete. As a student of sort of sports training, Andy, I'm sure you can really appreciate that. And and that would sort of go back to, you know, when you began this whole journey about the creativity and, and pushing boundaries. So I'm sure that's been sort of a challenge you've taken head on. Uh, I'm curious, as as the sort of discussion goes on with the NHL and the NHLPA about a return to play, one of the things that has been talked about is, you know, how it will likely be a compressed schedule to some some degree. And I know in previous conversations, as much as, you know, training and eating right is important, recovery is also as important. And I'm curious to know what you learned from some of your clients through the experience in the bubble where they were playing probably games at a at a faster rate than they typically would. Yeah, no question. And then I was in the bubble with the Penguins as well and um, went through that process of trying to plan training camps and managing that phase two process leading up to it. And controlling for a lot of factors, like you said, condensed schedules, um, changes with respect to what you can do on the ice, like how many people can be on the ice, and even just some of the, the variables, like you, even just managing a workout when you have to do lots of disinfecting and um, you're in different environments where people can only go to certain parts of the building. There was a lot of things to control for. 
but the thing looking forward that I think is is uh, the most challenging is going to be the density of the schedule. So I think you're going to see a lot of, of games, you know, maybe five and sevens are going to become a little bit more normal as opposed to maybe only having to hit one or two of those through the course of the season. Um, you know, there probably will be some situations where there's less travel with the new division alignments and then some situations where there's more for some teams. So I think there's going to be adjustments in travel schedules as well that can be really complicated. But the density of games has a lot to do with the fact that when you play multiple games at night on consecutive nights, uh, it really uh, has an impact on your circadian rhythms. So even players that when they play nine, ten minutes of ice a night, uh, in a game, you know, it's really not a ton of workload, but they could come in the next day exhausted because they're getting so much stimulation in their central nervous system. Uh, it can be really difficult to get uh, good quality of sleep. And then ultimately they're up the next day and they're right back at it. And so um, I think it just takes a toll. And, and when you're disturbing somebody's sleep rhythms and their circadian patterns um, consistently over time, it, it has a, a huge impact on hormones that you produce, um, how your body deals with inflammation, how your nervous system learns. And I think it can affect performance and definitely set some, some players up for injury as well. Andy O'Brien joins us on air, sports performance trainer, trains some of the, the biggest names in the NHL. Happy to have him on with us today. Uh, that point I, th- I find really interesting, Andy. I mean, I used to cover baseball, and while it's not necessarily the most physically demanding sport, the fact that it's it's a, you know happening on a daily basis and that these players have to be primed physically to do some pretty fast twitch stuff was always fascinating to talk to the trainers with the Blue Jays about some of the stuff that that they were doing and some of the challenges that the average fan might not understand. And you, you mentioned the travel, you mentioned some of those issues with having back to backs. What's the thing that you think of, especially, I guess, kind of in the last five or six years that you've encountered that the average fan might not understand why it has such a physical impact on an athlete, why it might have such an impact on performance. But uh, in your findings, in the work that you do with these players, you've consistently found that there there is an aspect of, of either you know the schedule or the environment that they're in or just the general life in general that, that has com- consistently come up in some of the work that you've done that has proved to be a bit of a challenge. Great question. I think it really boils down to stress. Like this is the factor that has so much of an impact on an athlete that sometimes gets misunderstood. We have sophisticated technology now that can measure workload of an athlete, but stress is a little bit more elusive and that can come up in somebody's personal life. Uh, it can come up if somebody didn't play a good game or if they're in a, you know, a scoring drought or whatever that might look like. But uh, I think the the best way to explain it is that if you have somebody who is a, let's say a, a really busy executive at a company and uh, he or she um, you know, seems to be burning the candle at both ends and they're under a lot of pressure and in a lot of stress. I think we all know somebody in our life that might fit that, fit that category. And, and maybe from a lifestyle standpoint, their, their nutrition isn't the best or their sleep isn't, or, you know, they're drinking a lot of coffee, trying to, to maintain the energy they need for their jobs. Sometimes the best thing for that person is exercise. So exercise can help to counterbalance that stress and it can help to get the body to release endorphins and it can, you know, reset the hormonal system and the neurologic system to help the body sleep and to change things like blood flow and create detoxification. And so what's really interesting is, is that sometimes as an athlete, um, you know, games actually don't represent that much exercise. Um, a player that's playing 25 minutes, sure, or a defenseman's playing 30 minutes, sure, but there are some players 
that have to be totally stimulated and they're playing, you know, they have a, a 45 second shift every five minutes. And so that actually takes a significant toll on an athlete. So, so one of the things that I think many teams try to do now is actually try to supplement exercise on top of that, that arousal and that stimulation of their nervous system to try and create blood flow and getting them sweating a little bit more and get them to actually contract their muscles to match some of that neurologic stress that they're getting, um, which is counterintuitive. Sometimes when you're playing a lot of games, you're playing three games, three nights or five games and seven nights. The last thing you think you need is exercise. You think you need rest. But I think, you know, our bodies are, are naturally designed to be winding down at night. And when we wind them up and we stimulate them, it starts to impact the quality of your sleep, the quantity of your sleep, and then all these other sorts of immune and hormonal responses that over time start to, to create problems for the athletes. All right, enough with the, uh, the high-performance athletes, Andy. I, I, I'm wondering if you can speak to a little <laughs> bit as we all find uh, sort of restrictions in place. I know you're out in, in the Maritimes at the moment. Um, what are things that, you know, if whether it's a mom who's usually doing sort of a spin class in the morning or, you know, um, you know, whether it's a teenager who's getting a little bit of a workout in, what are the types of things that we can be doing right now during the t- pandemic when we don't have access to, um, you know, whether it's playing men's league hockey, whether it's going to our gyms, you know, um, what are the things that you might recommend to help with, you know, physical health, but also mental health at the moment? Well, I think there's two, uh, two ways to approach it, uh, two things that I would really emphasize. One is routine. So routine is, is really critical. And there's some research that, that tells us that, that routine is really critical to physical health and physical adaptation, but it's also really critical to mental health. And I think when you think of routine, uh, there's a few things that come into that. One is your sleep-wake times. So trying to wake up at the same time and go to bed at the same time each night uh, can be really beneficial. Exercising at the same time. So if you do exercise, try not to vary that uh, from day to day. Try to do that at the exact same time. And then also the timing of your meals is going to infect, affect your circadian rhythms as well and, and that routine benefit to your system. So even eating at the same time and having planned out meals. Uh, and routine is something that, that we all had going on pre-COVID when most people are at their jobs that tends to follow a certain schedule and we just end up eating and exercising at the same time, sleeping at the same time. And for many people, they lost that when they started working at home. So if, you're, if your sleep-wake time starts to get off a little bit or you're eating at different times each day, it may just subtly kind of seep in and, and start to affect that routine. So that's something to be focused on. The second thing is the type of exercise that you're doing at home. It should include some aspects of movement, some aspects of strength training to build muscle, and some aspects of cardiovascular training. And because home facilities are often limited, you might end up with just a bike or you might end up with just some dumbbells or or perhaps you have a really good yoga practice. But I think it's important to, to emphasize all of these things. They have different physiologic responses that benefit your health in different ways. And some workouts can accomplish stimulating all of these three systems, which is great. But I think as you're trying to set up your home facility, you definitely want to try to have some space to move. Uh, you want to have some equipment to, to develop strength and maintain muscle. And then you want to have some equipment to develop cardiovascular work so that you can really optimize these things uh, together as you as you spend more time working out at home. Sports trainer Andy O'Brien joining us on air. 
Andy, one of the stories that Israel and I covered uh, within the last 10 days was the Miami Marlins hiring of Kim Ng, who became the first uh, female general manager in any major pro uh, professional sport. And there was a lot sort of dissected about what a breakthrough it had been and, you know, the impact that this was going to have on um, young women across North America and throughout the world. It was... It, it made me reflect on a conversation that I had with you, and I know two of your clients in, in Sydney and Nathan, and you had shared with me at one point sort of the mentality of, um, at that point, prior to Sydney Crosby's arrival, the mentality of sort of Maritimers and how the NHL and some of those professional leagues seem so far away. And I'm just wondering if you can speak from your personal experience on the impact of seeing is believing for, you know, how it inspired another generation of kids to sort of see somebody in a role that they hadn't seen before. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the, the evidence is there, no question. I look at some of the young prospects like Drake Batherson and Shane Bowers and some of these kids coming out of the Maritimes that, that are, that are great, great players. Noah Dobson from PEI there. There's some, some really, really good young prospects and, and then even another wave of younger players at the minor hockey level. And, and, you know, you have to attribute that to the, the Sidney Crosby's and the Nathan McKinnon's and the Brad Marchand's that, that maybe gave those kids a sense that, Hey, you know, like we can do it too. You know, if they can do it, we can do it. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, being in an underdog situation, what it represents is it represents this opportunity for an incredible story. You know, it, it, it increases the, um, you know, that sort of uh, opportunity on the other side, right? And, and if you're going into an Olympics, for example, as a gold medal favorite, you know, that represents one story. And if you're going in as somebody that nobody ever gave a chance, well, that means your story could be that much more powerful. Um, so why not get that much more excited about it and, and have that much more belief in yourself? You really have to see the story on the other side. So I think it's fantastic for women. I think it's fantastic for sports. And I think just the, the that, that ability to have equal opportunity for people, I think if you can see the story and you can start to create that narrative in your head and believe and dream it and get excited about that dream, then, then it can happen. Hey, Andy, uh, we really appreciate the insight. Uh, also, thank you for some of those tips and the advice. I know that I will be trying to put some of those in practice as well. We don't know when the NHL is coming back. It could be in about a month. It could be a little bit longer. But, uh, you know, we're sure that the that the guys are, are getting ready, uh, even if the challenges uh, that are coming up in the next couple of weeks make it a little bit more different, a little bit different than, than normal. So thanks a lot for taking the time uh, to speak with us today. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Always a pleasure.